Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I have a very special class for you today. Uh, This class is a special two-hour-long class that was recorded over the Giving Thanks retreat last weekend. I've already committed to donating my pay from the retreat to Southern Poverty Law Center. And if anyone makes any donations to the podcast between now and the end of the year, I will also be donating to Southern Poverty Law Center or better yet, donate to them or to ACLU yourself. Both are extremely necessary and great organizations. And now without further ado, here's your class. Just so that we're ready to go, they told me they set up enough blocks in the room for all of us to have. Does anybody not have a block in this one? I don't have a block. I'll just share it. Okay. Also, I can, I can sit on a, something else here to take that one. Oh, shucks. Um, let's, uh, let's set up the belt just so that we're ready for when the time comes and we don't have to, like, break characters and set up So, um, uh, so if, if you have a, a belt with no loop in it, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the, uh, tail end through the rings in one direction, and then you flip it over and loop it over the top one under the second one to get the loose. And then you pull on the loose end to tighten And then it's not a, it's not going to be a very specific size today. I would say approximately forearm length for the loop part, but it doesn't have to be exact, so don't spend a lot of time on it. I'm fast at No yawning. It's my body. I'm not, my, my mind, my, heart, my body's like, oh yeah, you, you can relax a bit now. So it's a good thing. Totally. When, when I even when I come on retreats like this, or when I go attend retreats too, it's like suddenly, suddenly my body's like, oh, I can I can rest. Oh yeah. really? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna sing a little bit. It's pretty easy. I don't think there's any words in it that you don't know. No. (laughs) Easy breezy.
So I feel very lucky to have um, uh, heard a story from Sharon last night. So after after Sharon's talk, for those of you who weren't here uh, last night, um, Sharon gave a, a an account of going to see the um, Macy's Day balloons get blown up uh, like the night before the parade happens, and 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 then after the talk. I guess someone who had been at the um, at the at the gathering last night came up to her and was like, "Oh, you know, I, I used to work in Macy's, coincidentally, and and you know the the origin, you know the origin of the Macy's Day Parade, right?" And Sharon's like, "No, I, I don't." And uh, and this person told Sharon, and this was also news to me, that the Macy's Day Parade started because. Uh, back in the day, uh, Macy's like used to employ a lot of um, immigrants, and the, their job at Macy's was like a pathway for them to um, get their citizenship. And so the first Macy's Day Parade was actually the employees of Macy's, and it symbolized them like having this new life and having this job at Macy's, and they and the employees themselves. Uh, did the parade themselves, and it was to sort of uh, show the diversity of the of the um, company and to sort of celebrate this this idea. So interesting, right? And and how easily that history has sort of been glossed over, and now all we see is the big balloons, and we see the commercialism of it, and we see this and see that, and. Actually, it's easy to gloss over a lot of history, like, you know. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, it got me thinking about the other ways that we sort of like gloss over these really important moments in history. Like if you, you know, it, you might, you might like me read in a history book, like about people getting voting rights. Right, and all it says is like, okay, and then the government passed the amendment, and then everyone got to vote. <laughs> Except it didn't, of course, work like that, right? Like many, many states in the South, like made it really, really uh, insurmountably difficult for people to vote, even once it was supposedly legal. Clerks would, you know, give like literacy tests only to black folks and not to white folks in order to get their registration to vote. Or they would make, or or they would make them stand in, like, a day long line without water. Uh, couldn't go to the bathroom. If they went to get water or went to get the bathroom, they could risk getting arrested or, or getting um, uh, physically, you know, beaten up. And um, and so it's not like it's not like okay, once it's legal, everything's everything's a go, right? People sacrificed. People made a lot of sacrifices, including their own physical health and safety, including their lives to be able to vote, right? Such a strange thing. I often think about pants, too. Bear with me. <laughs> I often think about pants because actually, uh, women were also arrested, beaten up, jailed for the right to wear pants. And then, and then the women would go on hunger strike in jail, so that you know, so that the police would then like let them out, and then they would, you know, wear pants again and get arrested and go to jail. Anyway, 
long story short, I mean, I, I wear pants every day and I forget a lot of times, unless I, unless I remind myself, which I do. I like to remind myself about pants. But <laughs> I like to remind myself to wear pants as well. <laughs> um, you know, unless we sort of remind ourselves of these stories, unless we hear these stories from one another, unless we tell each other these stories, we're liable to forget um, that people, you know, that people really sacrificed a lot for these for these things. I have a reading. It's um, it's a little on the dark side. It's a little heavy, but I think we can all handle it. You all had a good lunch, right? <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's a little bit about the uh, HIV epidemic in uh, in the eighties, which I didn't know a lot about before uh, before reading this. And it sort of encapsulates this idea that, um, well, let me read it first. Emma. Good idea. At the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, people with HIV were among the most oppressed people on earth. In addition to oppression by race, geography, class, gender, and sexuality, they faced a terminal illness for which there were no known treatments. They had no laws of protection, no services, no representation, uh, and received no compassion. Their lives did not matter, and their prognosis was an unabated suffering and inevitable mass death. Millions suffered and died without care, comfort, or interest, vilified by cruel projections, neglect, and unjustified exclusion and blame. They were systematically shunned. Their experiences and points of view viciously excluded from policy, representation, dominant cultural mores, and law. I witnessed this firsthand. Only when people with AIDS and their friends intervened against the status quo and forced an end to the shunning by forcing interactivity through zaps, sit-ins, initiated agendas, actions, interruptions, shutdowns, exposés, research, demonstrations, did systematic progress begin to be made. The state theorized this unwanted insistence on on appropriate treatment as an act of violation, calling it disorderly conduct. Instead of resistance, Uh, they shunned people with AIDS and therefore did not hear what they had to say and ha- about how they were being treated. And as a result, thousands of arrests took place of people trying to save lives, many of whom fought passionately until the day they died. In other words, it was the mistreatment and shunning of this group, the people with HIV, that produced the illegality of their actions. If the powers that be had invited people with HIV into their halls and said, we have a conflict here, therefore we need to sit down together and solve it, then people with HIV would not have had to do civil disobedience, for which they and their supporters were arrested by the police. Today we understand those people's acts of resistance were necessary, heroic, and socially transformative. That just because we're forbidden to speak 
doesn't mean that they were obliged, uh, that they were obligated to obey those unjust orders. And as a consequence, the experience of being HIV positive has changed dramatically for many, though not for all. Attitude, treatment, laws, public opinion, <coughs> social responsibility, and representation have transformed in significant ways. What struck me about this uh, passage is that it threads through all of those other examples. It's like, because of the um, othering or, or the shunning of a particular group of people by whatever category those lines are drawn, right? Because of that shunning and because of that sort of making those the other, right? Those people are other and we, we know what's best and those are other, right? By that process of shunning, that's what produces, because this side isn't listening to this side, that's what produced the need for people with HIV to do acts of civil disobedience or for women to do acts of civil disobedience by wearing pants or for people to do acts of civil disobedience by you know, wanting to vote or, or what have you. Um, and, that, and that then those actions are seen as illegal. But really it's just a, it's a, a need to be heard from, from the, side, the other side. Right, that produces those actions. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting way of um, of looking at it. And then, of course, you know, everything connects together, right? And then Bharati this morning, Bharati this morning was talking about ultimate freedom through meditation, and and she proposed what she called the what did she say? She said the challenge of freedom, the challenge of freedom. And it reminded me of that song, that, you know, that old gospel song, the um, freedom is a constant struggle, right? Let's back up a step or two. What do we think, like, you don't have to say out loud or whatever, but, like, what does freedom mean to you? Like, it can be the cosmic freedom. It can be like, you know, in Bharati's class this morning, we were talking about enlightenment or, you know, that kind of freedom. Or it could be the physical freedom to move around. But just like, think about it for a minute. And like, what... You know, in order to, oh, and again, Laraji said it last night. He was like, put forth your most beautiful vision, right? So take a moment, like, let it soak in. Put forth your most beautiful vision. What does it look like and what does it feel like? And then the follow-up question is, what, what would we sacrifice? What would we give up? To have that vision attained. I mean, this morning it was interesting. Bharati said, you know, you have to give up being greedy. You have to give up the desire to obtain more stuff in order to obtain ultimate freedom, right? So, what thoughts or, you know, what things would you give up? What, uh, 
It's an interesting question, right? Um, let's, let's warm up. <laughs> Come forward up to hands and knees. And we'll press back into a downward facing dog. Sure, that'd be great. Soften the knees and start to walk the feet forward towards the hands, folding forward the legs. You can also breathe and jump breath. Thank you. Widen the feet, come into a deep squatting position, hands together at the center of the chest. Lift up tall in the Twist to the right side. 
Turn and face the front. Switch your legs. And then twist the other way. Turn to face forward and then set up our tabletop. Hands behind, fingers forward, feet to the floor. Little separation between the feet and now lift up. just a little movement exploration. There's no right or wrong here. It's just about um, feeling the different possibilities for movement in your own body. So the first instruction is to see how uh, to just start gently moving your fingers and fingers only, fingers only, and see how much movement 
You can get out of your fingers without involving your wrist, the joint that we usually commonly refer to as the wrist, right? So you can move fast or slow, you can move in every direction you can find, but try just to get a sense for how much movement the fingers have on their own. And then start to involve the wrist, but don't involve that elbow. So you can um, explore every direction of movement that the wrists have. And yeah, good. And you can move fast or you can move slow, but try not to move the elbow. And then go ahead and start to incorporate some elbow movement. So see how much range of movement you can get from fingers to wrists to elbows, but don't move your shoulders. Or just see, like, if you accidentally move a shoulder, just don't go there again, right? It doesn't mean you've done it wrong. Just, just try not to go there purposely. And then, and this is an important distinction, see how much you can move at the shoulder joint without moving your shoulder blade. In fact, I find it helpful, like you can reach around with your left hand and hold onto your right shoulder blade. And then just see like how much movement of the arm you can get in any given direction without involving the shoulder blade in the movement. Try not to move your shoulder blade. Let me just reiterate, try not to move your shoulder blade. <laughs> And then, okay, go ahead and just add the shoulder blade in. So see how much range of movement you can get with the shoulder blade moving on the back. And then you can, you can stop that. No, <laughs> you can open your eyes for a moment. So um, the shoulder, the shoulder is actually not a, a one joint situation. It's multiple joints that we call, we sort of call the shoulder. And um, one of the joints of the shoulder has to do with the arm bone connecting to your collarbone here, right? So that's one joint of the shoulder. Now, that joint in and of itself doesn't have a whole lot of movement to it. In fact, you really only have about 20 or maybe 30 degrees in any given plane of movement without having to involve the shoulder blade. Past about here, in any of the directions, you've got to incorporate shoulder blade to get your arm up any higher or out any further, right? Does that make sense so far? Um, it'll make more sense in a moment, but I just want to kind of reiterate the point that it, it's sort of um, like depending on how we define our arm, our reach can be here or our reach can be here. Like if I, if I visualize my arm as extending all the way to my mid-back, I can really get a lot of reach into it. But if I visualize my arm stopping at my shoulder, I don't have as much reach. 
Um, so that's the basic idea. Now, with that in mind, um, I want to get into uh, into partners. Just kind of turn and face someone. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. Tim, do you need to step in? And, why don't you step in? Oh, I see. Boys, what boys? Why don't you two be together and then Dad can be with Matt? Yeah, that works out. And then Carl and okay, yeah. However, it works out. You guys, yeah, perfect. Hi, partners. Okay. <laughs> so first things first. So one per partner is going to turn away from the other partner. So just decide who's going first. <laughs> one person is going to shun the other person. <laughs> and then second partner, just gently rest your hands on their shoulder blades. So that's <laughs> Okay. Do we know where basically where the shoulder blades are? Yeah, got it. Good. Perfect. So it's sort of that, so it's sort of those flat sort of plate-like things right at the back of the shoulder blades. Now what's interesting is that we're going to go through the movements of the shoulder blades, and you're going to be able to watch the movement of your hand as it moves. And that's representative of the ways that the shoulder blades are moving. I'll prove it to you. <laughs> okay, so partner who's sitting in front, you're, you're now partner one. Partner one, shrug your shoulders way up by your ears, way, way up. This is called elevation. You don't have to memorize it if you don't want to, but I like having names so that we have a common understanding. We could call it spaghetti, but as long as we agree on the name, <laughs> as long as we agree on the name, we, we can have a conversation, right? So elevation, and then let them drop. Good elevation, and partner two, you feel your hands going up with the shoulder blades, and then let them drop, and then from where your shoulder blades are now, try to drag your shoulders down, like lower than their natural horizon. Does that make sense? Let them go back to neutral. And then can you draw the shoulder blades down, lower? Like, imagine you're carrying two heavy bags from Trader Joe's. That feeling of like, <laughs> So that's called depression. <laughs> okay, do that again, depression. Not back, not back, just down. Heavy bags of groceries, there you go. Okay, now, Move your shoulder blades around the sides of your spine. So it's almost like you're trying to cave in your chest a little bit. And then the shoulder blades like wrap around to the sides. That's called protraction. And then come back to the center. Do that one one more time, protraction. And then come back to the center. And then from where you are, imagine you're trying to touch your elbows behind your back. And that's retraction. So the shoulder blades are coming more together behind the spine. Do that again, retraction, and then release. And then um, bring your like elbows out to the side like chicken wings. Yeah. And then, <laughs> live chicken And then, um, okay, so draw your elbows out and up. And then partners, you should feel your hands kind of rotating up to the sides, yes? This is called the upward rotation because the bottom tip of the shoulder blade is rotating up. Okay? And then you got and then doing the opposite is a little bit hard. You've got to kind of imagine that you're pulling the, the tips of the shoulder blades down and towards each other. 
Yeah. Okay. Good. And that's called downward rotation. So we have elevation, depression, upward rotation, downward rotation, protection, retraction. Ready? Switch partners. Okay. So elevation and release. Elevation, release, depression. Come back to neutral. Depression. Come back to neutral. Protraction. Retraction. Protraction. Retraction. Elbows out. Elbows out and up is upward rotation. Elbows get in down and back is downward rotation. Up. Upward rotation. Downward rotation. Yeah, got it? Okay. Here's the thing, that's way an oversimplification, like by a lot. <laughs> I mean, we, it's, it's functional to oversimplify, like we named basically three planes of movement. The problem with shoulder blades is that every movement of the shoulder blades occurs in three dimensions. So every movement is gonna have like a little elevation, a little protraction, a little downward rotation, or some combination, you see? But I had to simplify for the sake of understanding. Does that make sense so far? Now, stay, whoever's standing in front, stay in front. Reach your arms up. All the way up. <laughs> <laughs> Who's ticklish? <laughs> okay, reach your, how about this? Turn around and face your partner. <laughs> it's a trust thing, I understand. <laughs> okay, so partner two, raise your arms up. Raise your arms up. Make your, wait, actually no, actually, Chelsea is right. We can both do it together. Everyone raise your arms up. Everyone can do it. Okay, make your arms as parallel as you possibly can. As parallel as you can and as straight as you can. So straighten the elbows and parallel. Step back so you can actually see each other's arms. I mean, I like the, I like the, I like the, I like the your arms parallel to each other. And then you're looking at your partner's arms, okay? Now, try this instruction. Try pulling your shoulder blades down your back. First of all, how does it feel inside? Raise your, uh, make your arms parallel and straight again. And then draw the shoulder blades down the back and look at your partner's arms. What happened? They, they got wider, and what have the elbows for a lot of us? Bent. Bent. Right. So release your arms for a second. Okay. So that instruction that we hear frequently in the yoga classroom, pull your shoulder blades down the back, pull your shoulder blades down the back. I mean, it's an okay instruction. What the instruction usually means is, like, don't add more elevation than is necessary, or don't add more tension than is necessary. But instead of saying that, it's become pull the shoulders down the back, which creates, again, that inability to sort of have long arms and to have those parallel arms. So an example, so what's an example of a pose where we have our arms in this position? Downward facing dog. Downward facing dog. Good, so everyone come into a downward dog. <laughs> Ryan, did you look at my class notes? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just try this. So 
push your hands into the floor in such a way that your shoulders come all the way up towards your ears, like maximum elevation. Make shoulder earrings. There you go. And then try to try to do the instruction. Pull your shoulders down your back. Do it to the maximum. Ooh. And then and then find somewhere in the middle. Right? So full elevation isn't the right answer. And full retract, full um, pulling the shoulders down isn't the answer. But there is some bit of elevation in the shoulder blades. Did you find that to be a little bit more supportive and comfortable? Yeah. Yeah. Bring the knees to the floor. So as usual with yoga instructions, like those teachers aren't wrong that say pull your shoulders down your back. And like me, I'm playing the devil's advocate and I'm saying, let your shoulders go up. The right answer is usually in the middle. And usually when we take yoga class, we're, we're like, we're like trying so much to be good students. So we're like trying to do what the teacher says so much. And then we kind of maybe take that instruction a little to one extreme. And then we hear a different instruction and we take that instruction to another stream and then back and forth we go. Think of the instructions more as fine tuning rather than, oh, if my teacher says pull my shoulder down, it means I have to pull my shoulders all the way down to my butt, right? <laughs> like don't get so extreme, right? Okay, let's do uh, let's do one more pose where our arms are like this. Can anyone make one? Or or no. Handstand. Yes. Handstand. Right again. You, you get them tonight. They actually stole them. I just read them. Uh, work as a team. You've, you've won your dinner tonight. Um, okay. So I want us to try handstand again. So back row is going to do the wall first. Y'all are going to practice in the center for a moment. And what I want you to do once you're in your handstand at the wall, prep. Practice letting the shoulders shrug up a little bit. Practice pulling them all the way down. And then find like that beautiful happy medium where you both have that supported structure and you're not bringing so much tension where it doesn't belong. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Let's try it. You guys try the center. You'll get the wall in a second.
and knees look forward. Inhale, upward, step feet to hands. Exhale, press against the legs. Inhale, bend the knees, reach the arms up, Katasana. Exhale, stand up, release the arms. Let's try another one. Hook the thumbs, reach up, arch back. Exhale, bend the knees, swing the arms behind, lace the hands, extend the legs. Inhale, hands to the floor, right foot steps back. Exhale, downward facing dog. Inhale, come forward to plank pose. Exhale, slow chaturanga. Inhale, upward facing. Exhale, downward facing. Inhale, plank pose. Exhale, lower knees, chest and chin. Inhale, slide forward to cobra. Exhale, tuck the toes.
Try to even out the weight between both feet. So shift the weight into the right foot. Don't make the left foot do all the work. Press the left hand down. Reach the right arm up. And then bring both hands back to the center. Right arm reaches in front of the right leg. But again, the right leg is bigger and stronger. So you have to push the right arm back into the right leg a little bit. And then reach the left arm up. Then take both arms out around behind. And connect the hands. Shift some weight into the left foot. Try to make it even on both sides. Make it fair. Press the right hand down, reach the left arm up. And exhale, press the hands together. Good, bring the hands down to the floor. Raise your hips up and fold forward over your legs. Heel toe your feet again so that they're only a couple of inches apart. Bend the knees a little bit. Wrap your arms around your legs like you want to hug your legs. Grab hold of opposite elbows. And then start to straighten the legs by pushing the backs of the knees against the arms. So the arms are providing a little bit of resistance for the legs, but the legs are able to work into that resistance and actually open up a little bit more because the arms are pressing against the legs and vice versa. Okay, release the arms, inhale, look forward. Exhale, hands grab your waist. Inhale, lift all the way up to standing. Exhale, bring the feet together, arms alongside body. Inhale, bend the knees, reach the arms up. Kitasana. Exhale, hands to perch, twist to the right side. Put the left upper arm outside of the right leg. Inhale. Exhale, one. press the palms of the hands together strongly to bring the chest up towards the base of the thighs. Exhale, bend both knees even more deeply. Reach down with the left hand and try to touch the floor or a block. And then reach the right arm up. Exhale, up.
don't exaggerate. Don't like rub your rear lobe with your shoulders. <laughs> Stay in your twist. Step four. Repeat together. Stay in your twist. Press hands together. Keep the knees bent. Inhale. Reach up to the center. Exhale. Stand up and release the arms. Reach the arms up overhead. Take a little separation between the hands for now. Stretch your right arm a little longer than your left arm. Spread your fingers out really, really wide. And as you spread your fingers out and reach your arm as long as you can, can you feel like the muscles of the upper arm, both the back and the front, kind of firming up? What's that? Yeah. Yeah, okay, great. And then stretch the left arm a little longer than the right arm. Stretch it really long. Spread your fingers out and try to kind of wake up the muscles on the front part of the upper arm, the back part of the upper arm. Now stretch both arms equally long. Spread your fingers. Try to wake up all those muscles. Yum. Good. And then just bring the fingers together so that you have like a karate chop hand on each side. Yeah, good. <laughs> and then bring the arms alongside the body. Okay, you might have to stagger yourselves again. You want to stretch your arms out to a T now. Good, okay. Uh, lift both collarbones up. Lift the center of the chest up. And even breathe all the way into the tops of the collarbones. So at the top of the inhale, feel the collarbones lift. At the bottom of the exhale, feel the collarbones lower. So you're really breathing, not just belly breathing, right? But all the way up the front of the body. Now, open up the palms of the hands. And feel how, as you do that, the... Uh, the upper arm rotates towards the back of the room and your shoulder blades can actually slide down the back of the leg. Now breathe even higher up into the collarbones. Make the front of the chest really good. Good, now, just take your right hand and see if you can flip your right hand over without changing the shape of the right part of the chest. So keep your collarbones lifting and spread. Then, Bend your elbow. Don't let your shoulder dip forward as you do this next action. Bend your elbow and start to slip the back of your hand to your lower back, but without changing the front of your chest. So especially don't make this round part of the shoulder kind of dip forward. Does that make sense? Now we're gonna do it to the other side. Lift and spread your left collarbone. Big upper left quadrant of the chest. Open up the palm of the hand to the ceiling. Keep the shoulder blade uh, dropping down and back. See if you can keep that same shape as you rotate the hand down, thumb all the way towards the floor. Then see if you can keep that same shape in the upper chest. Don't let the shoulder dip forward as you slide the hand behind the lower back. Good, from there, keep the chest open. See if you can grab wrists or forearms or maybe even opposite elbows, but don't let the round part of the shoulders come forward. If you do that, then you've gone a little too far for what you need today. Does that make sense? Yes? We feeling it? Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Release that. That's the basis basically for all of our binds. So we're going to work a little bit on a couple of binds today and that's the element that we're working on. It's not allowing that sort of forward bending dipping action to happen when we come into it. Don't worry. I'll remind you again when the time comes. That was just preparation. Come all the way forward on your mat. Bring your feet together, arms alongside your body. Inhale, reach the arms up overhead, hands touch together. Exhale, fold all the way forward over both legs. Inhale, lift the head and the chest. Exhale, <coughs> hop or walk back 
left knee. Let's do that same self assist on this side. So left hand onto your left thigh bone. Right hand onto your uh, left uh, rib cage. And then push those two parts away from each other. It's almost like you're simultaneously trying to deepen your hip crease and lengthen up through the side bottom. Keep that sense of length. Reach out long. Reach so long. And then try to place the entire side of your body onto your left leg as the right arm reaches over. Again, you don't want that curve or that sort of little pocket coming between the waist and the leg. That's going to be important later, too, so remember that feeling. Good. Bring both hands down to the floor. Straighten the left leg as you adjust the back foot forward. And fold forward. Bend the left knee, look ahead. Exhale, step all the way back, downward facing dog. Bend the knees, look forward. Hop or step the feet up to the hands. Exhale, fold forward. Inhale, stand up, reach the arms overhead, hands touch together. Exhale, release the arms. Okay, it's time. Okay, so you're gonna take the you're gonna take the loop side of your strap and you're gonna sling it over your right shoulder like you're putting a, a bag over your shoulder. Good, and then step the left foot back about a foot and a half or two. Take your left hand behind and hold the tail end of your strap. Now we're moving into rotated triangle, but in this position with the, with the hand holding the strap, it's really hard to reach up, it doesn't do much good. So instead, we're just gonna reach forward with the left hand. As you reach forward, you might feel that tug. Your left hand is helping your right shoulder to move back and down, actually. And then, and then go ahead and reach all the way forward and down into rotated triangle. Right arm is gonna reach up. You can keep pulling a little bit on your strap to give that little bit of tension. And then feel how the round part of the right shoulder is able to pace sort of back and down. You can even feel maybe where the strap kind of strikes the back of the rib cage. So there's sort of this moment where the strap is touching the back of the, uh, the middle of the rib cage. See if you can twist right around that Okay, lift all the way up to stand. And then step forward. Good. Switch your, switch your um, strap. So sling your strap right over your left shoulder. So we're working with that same feeling of opening the shoulder this way. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, great. So step your right foot back. We're just going to reach the right arm forward. And again, feel how that place right below your shoulder blades, the strap is actually helping you turn from that place. Sometimes when we do twists, we kind of let the shoulders do like willy-nilly whatever they want. But if you think about twisting your whole rib cage as you come forward, go ahead, come forward. Right hand down, left arm up.
lift all the way up to stand. Good, and then feet together, step forward. Put that strap up to the side for a moment. And then everyone turn to face the right hand side of the room, step the feet wide. Hands grab your waist, inhale, lift up the chest, arch back. Exhale, fold all the way forward, hands to the floor between the feet. Inhale, breath. Exhale, bend the elbows back, like almost like chaturanga shape in the elbows. Draw the crown of the head to the floor. One, two, three. On the inhale, look forward. Exhale, hands grab your waist. Inhale, lift all the way up to stand. Arch back. Good. Exhale, fold all the way forward again. This time, reach out, grab hold of your big toes and the feet side fingers of the hands. Inhale, breath. Exhale, fold forward. Pull the top of the head towards the floor. Oh, yeah. I also think you're over, Uh-huh. So, again, make sure the middle part of the waist isn't sort of 
of lifting up away from the thigh, you want to, you can, yeah, put your hand up for Just from inside your body, so you can make the waist a little bit longer. And then see if you can press those two things together even more. Yum. <laughs> okay, really important that you don't let that little pocket come, okay? So, turn the left hand all the way around. Keep the left part of the collarbones open. Don't dip forward or, or crunch forward. Bring the left hand all the way around behind the back. Good. If you can keep the collarbone as wide as it is now, take the right arm underneath and grab hold of the left wrist. But if you have to crunch, don't do it yet. Work on it more before you do it. Good. Okay, now, extra important, ultra important. As we begin to straighten the right leg, make sure the right side of the waist doesn't cut away from the right leg. Keep those two things pressing together. If the right side of the waist starts to curve or make a pocket away from the right leg, you have gone too far for what your hamstrings want right now. And trust me, it's worth it to respect your hamstrings. <laughs> okay, bend the right knee. Right hand down, left arm up. Lift all the way up to stand. And release the arms. Parallel the feet for just a moment. I just want to check in that that idea made physical and intellectual sense. <laughs> so, it's very important as we're straightening, if, especially if you're in the bind, you're locking your hamstring into a no-win situation. So if, especially if you're bound, if you let that curve, that pocket come in between your leg and your, and your waist, you're setting yourself up for trouble, right? So as long as you can keep those two things together, you just straighten up to that point and maybe that's where you work, yeah? Okay, great, let's do the other side. Left toes out, right toes in. <laughs> I'm a bit of an anatomy. Okay, lift the arms up to shoulder height. <laughs> the left knee. Good. Long left waist. Reach all the way up to the left. Try to lay the whole left side of your body down on your whole left leg. No pocket there. No curve. If there is a curve, maybe put your hand on the block instead. Right arm reaches up. Make the right collarbones open. Big, big upper right quadrant of the chest. Turn your hand around and see if you can slip the back of your hand behind your lower back. As long as you don't have to crunch the shoulders forward to do it, take the left arm underneath and complete the bind. Good. Okay, now, same rules apply. Keep your side in contact with your leg as you start to extend your leg. Stop before the moment when the waist starts to leave the leg, or when that sort of pocket starts to happen. Bend the left knee, bring the left hand down to the floor, right arm reaches up. Then lift all the way up to standing, and release the arms. Good. Bend the left knee a little bit again, and then step your right foot forward next to your left foot. Okay. Raise your hips up and 
fold forward over your legs. Good. Uh, bend both knees a little bit. Thread your right arm between your legs. Mm -hmm. Reach the left arm all the way around behind the back and try to hold the left wrist with your right hand. Good. Pause there, try to straighten both legs at the same time. So if, if one knee is bent, then make them both equally bent. Or if they can both straighten the same amount, then do that. But they should be the same. But now bend both knees, wiggle your left foot more to the middle so it's right up here. Push your left foot down to the floor and lift all the way up to stand. That's it. Keep working on it. Even if you lose it, just come, come back into it. Good. And then if your standing leg is extended, start to extend the um, right leg. Okay, bend both knees, replace the right foot where it came from, release the arms and fold forward. Let the arms dangle, let the head be heavy. Okay, let's do the other side. Bend the knees a little bit. Thread the left arm between both legs. Take the right arm all the way around behind and try to connect the hand. So left hand wants to hold the right wrist on this side. Then do your best to straighten both legs equally. So if both knee, if one knee is bent, then just even them out. That's it. Okay, now bend both knees. Wiggle your right foot more to the center. Careful with your knee jet. Oh yeah. Okay. Start to push down through the right foot and lift all the way up to standing. J. Knee safety first. Knee safety. I'm doing the thing. Okay, all right, great. <laughs> okay, slowly bend both knees. Come all the way down. Good. Let the arms dangle. Let the head and neck relax. Step all the way back to downward facing dog. <laughs> On the inhale, come forward to plank pose. Exhale, lower to the hand. Inhale, upward facing dog. And exhale, downward facing dog. Inhale, come forward into a plank. Exhale, lower the knees, the chest, and the chin to the floor. Inhale, slide forward into cobra. And exhale, release the forehead down to the floor. Arms alongside the body. Inhale, lift the head, chest, and legs. Shalabhasana. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Good. Exhale, release down. Bend both knees. Reach back, hold on to the ankles. On the inhale, lift up head, chest, knees. Down your arms. And exhale, release down.
one of the lights too. <laughs> all, all the knobs in the were just wrong. <laughs> Bend the knees, reach back, pull the things, or we just have to figure it out. There's probably some. Uh, there's probably some magical way to do it. I just don't know. What? Just a little bit, and then release down, like halfway. Yeah, release down. Roll over onto the back. Lift the hips up, lace the hands behind the back of the toes. Both knees over to the left side of the body. Look to the right. (laughs) 
knees to the chest. Go the other way. Thank <laughs> you. 
From your child's pose, setting up for headstand practice. So I'm going to talk through some steps. You can stop wherever feels like your comfort threshold for today. Stretch the arms forward. Interlock the hands together into one fist. Touch the head to the floor behind the hands. Lift the knees up, extending the legs. And then you either stay there or you bend one knee into the chest. You either stay there or bend both knees into the chest. And then lift the legs all the way up towards the ceiling. Head stand.
way into child's pose.
deepen the breath. to bring some movement into the body. And then um, bending the knees into the chest, roll to one side. And then take your time making your way up to a seat. I didn't know if I would have enough time in the beginning to tell the Durga story, but since I have a couple of minutes, I hope you'll indulge me. <laughs> so, uh, Durga is, uh, is a goddess. You'll, you'll see her, she's very finely dressed and well put together, very glamorous, and you'll see her riding a tiger and all of her sort of eight, you know, many, many arms, each, each with a different weapon in them. And uh, the story that, you know, her, her very famous story is one of her defeating uh, a very special demon, right? And when we say the word demon, it's like, you know, the, the demons in the stories, they, they are also like yoga practitioners. It's just, you know, they have like a meditation practice. They have, you know, they do yoga practices, but they're kind of, um, they're kind of in it for their own reasons. They're in it to gain, you know, special powers and to gain things for themselves. And, and the demons are often like trying to bargain with the gods, right? So the demon will do like a favor for Brahman and, and then we'll want something in return. In this case, uh, the demon asks for immortality, right? And Brahma's like, you know I can't do that, you know? And, and so the demon thinks he's being like really clever and he's like, oh, okay, well how about if no God can kill me, no man can kill me, no animal can kill me? Can you guess who he's leaving out? Okay. So he thinks he's being very clever. And then Brahma's like, yeah, sure, I can do that. Oh, oh, and also make sure that if my head gets cut off, that when a drop of blood hits the earth, six more just like me spring out of the earth. Okay, sure, I can do that. So he's getting very powerful. In fact, he's getting so powerful that actually even the gods are getting worried, right? Like Shiva... Brahma, Vishnu, Ganesh, they all get together and they're like, oh, this is a scary situation. None of us can defeat him ourselves. You know? 
And so as the story goes, the, the Shakti or the feminine aspect of the gods comes forth and makes Durga. And then each of the gods gives her one of his weapons. So, you know, trident in one hand, sword in the other, all coming from, from the gods. So she's like, she rep- sort of represents energetically their, their power. So she's fighting the demon and, and not breaking a sweat. Cool as a cucumber, mascara intact, right? <laughs> she's just like fighting, 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 no problem. Uh, except that then she starts to realize there is a problem. Because when she cuts off the demon's head, the blood lands on the earth and six more like him spring up. And then cuts off their heads and then the blood falls in the earth and then six more. So suddenly she realizes like, this, this demon's building a little army here. <laughs> so she, she's kind of like, oh, I'm going to need some help. And that's where Kali comes in. And Kali is kind of the, in some ways, the other side of the same coin. She's like the wild one. Wild hair, wild-eyed, naked, very fearsome looking, right? And um, she's always depicted with a long red tongue hanging out of her mouth. And the reason for that is that every time, uh, every time the demon's blood starts to fall into the earth, she laps it up with her tongue. It's a good bedtime story. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is that the two of them together, collaborating together like this, they eventually defeat the demon. And... and um, Durga is also very, um, very special. Not only does she sort of represent that, um, that courageous energy, but she, you know, they say she's only around when you call her. So you have to call her up. So uh, when we call her, we're summoning up inside of us all of that courage and all of that strength of those ladies. Yeah. Okay. I like that story. Shanti, 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 may there be peace.